the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and the master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, plural, (laughs) and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and wealth, uh, creation, preservation, and transfer within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, and I always will be one, and I also helped create another one with my former spouse, who was also all Army, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it could be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines, and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system. This is especially the case after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. You know, I keep going back to the fact that I was raised by a father who, through his work in the military, gave back to the community and our society as a whole. He taught me that I also had a likewise duty to give back to our community and our society as a whole. And on top of that, having a great example for my father, I had the great fortune to know and spend a lot of time with, and I mean, actually became best buds with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the 20th century, the Great Depression, the privations of World War II, 
and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And as these women helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me the great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me in spirit, urging me on, along with my dad, that when the situation is right and through my chosen form of service now, through the law, I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately, more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our very greedy, sometimes apparently godless society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal information advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help. I sincerely believe you you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances or your assets, but especially your debt. Now, the last time we got together, we discussed uh, what bankruptcy is. Uh, we went through our semi-annual process of bankruptcy 101. And in essence, again, bankruptcy is a legal procedure that can be used by individuals and companies and governmental units, um, but not states but governmental units within states that are insolvent. That is to say, they owe more money than um, they can, you know, pay because economic downturns. So in other words, these individuals, these companies, and these um, businesses and governmental units are financially distressed. So bankruptcy allows an insolvent debtor to be released from all or some of his or her or its debts. However, bankruptcies can also be used, again, by individuals, companies, uh, and governmental units who may be solvent on paper, but they may lack the liquidity to pay back their debts as they come due. In the case of solvent debtors, they may seek the time to gain the necessary liquidity, such as selling some of their assets, and in exchange for gaining this time, because they are solvent, they have to pay a premium of some kind to their creditors, to the process. Regardless of what caused the distress, in such cases, bankruptcy provides a remedy that's spelled out in Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution, uh, granting the United States Congress the mandate to issue Uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies. 
as currently manifest by the United States Bankruptcy Code and the Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedure, along with the appropriate federal and state codes and case law. Now, where are the United States Bankruptcy Code and Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedure found? In the big book of laws that I talk about periodically. And the Constitution is found in the Constitution. And so for those of you who want to know more about this, there's a wonderful application on the United States Constitution, and it has a website. <laughs> it's called the Interactive Constitution, and it is a um, a nonprofit organization that was started by the government, but they have an interactive constitution that I use almost daily because it explains each clause of the Constitution. So I urge you, Google uh, Interactive uh, Constitution by the United States uh, Constitution Center. It's a nonprofit organization. And where do you get the big book of, of laws? You Google that too. Then that way you'll know as much as the politicians because you'll have the facts firsthand. So anyway, why is bankruptcy important? I share with you my brief summary last week. But in an excellent article written by Harley Hahn, of the Harley Hahn Center for Money and Economics, his article is entitled, What is Bankruptcy and Why Bankruptcy is Important and Necessary to an Economy? And you can find this article at his website, Harley, H-A-R-L-E-Y.com. In it, Mr. Hahn states, when a debt is eliminated as part of a bankruptcy process, the debt is discharged. Once a debt has been discharged, the debtor is relieved of the obligation to pay the creditors. And the creditors are prohibited by law from taking any further action to recover the debt. In this way, an individual can continue to live her life free from the burden of oppressive debt. This is often referred to as a fresh start. Similarly, a company can stay in business while reorganizing itself around more favorable debt structure, and a government can return to providing essential services to its citizenry. The chance to discharge debt legally and ethically, I might add, is a unique and critically important part of our economic system. To understand why, we need only consider the alternatives. That is to say, let us consider what happened to debtors who were unable to pay their debt before bankruptcy was invented. Before bankruptcy, debtors who could not meet their obligation were subject to severe penalties. For example, in the ancient Greek city-states and in the early Roman Empire, a person who could not repay his, because women weren't uh, lent money, his debts would often be forced to become a slave of his creditor. This became known as debt bondage. A thousand years later, the treatment of debtors was still harsh. For example, in England, the first of the facial laws regarding insolvency was passed in 1542 during the reign of Henry VIII. Now, you remember him. He was the dude with all the wives who lost their heads over him. Actually, not figuratively. These laws treated insolvent debtors as criminals with penalties uh, such as imprisonment or death. So 
even in modern times, well into the 1800s, people who were unable to pay their debts could still be in prison. They were sent to debtor's prison where they would be confined often in brutal and inhumane manner. As early, for example, in early 19th century England, a debtor could be, who would be accused by his creditors of not paying his debt. Once this happened, the debtor would be given a short time to raise the money to pay off the debt. Otherwise, it wouldn't be off with his head. It would be off with him to debtor's prison. So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of uh, Bankruptcy 101, the 2023 edition. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we continue our discussion of today's topic, Bankruptcy 101, 2023 edition, what is bankruptcy and why bankruptcy is important and necessary to an economy and just how it works. Uh, Today, we'll continue our focus on the key players of bankruptcy who also are protected by the Constitution. Uh, That is to say, the debtor's creditors. But first, I want to continue on with Mr. Hahn's um, good example, uh, overview of why bankruptcy is important. Um, He goes on to say in his article, if you're a fan of the novels of Charles Dickens, you may remember that several of his characters were sent to debtor's prison. They included Mr. Pickwick in the Pickwick Papers that was published in 1836. Uh, Macabre in David Copperfield that was published in 1849 and William Dorrit in Little Dirt that was published in 1855. Did you know, in fact, in 1824, when Mr. Dickens was just 12 years old, his very own father was sent to debtor's prison. So it is true that those of us who write for a living write from our own experiences. And that was the case with Mr. Um, Dickens. Uh, in the article, it goes on to say that in the United States, federal imprisonment for unpaid debts, which was or had been since our founding, it was finally abolished in 1833. And around that same time, the individual states also abolished the practice as well. In England, however, imprisonment for debt was not abolished until 1869, four years after the close of the Civil War. So by the late 1860s, the attitude towards indebtedness was beginning to change generally in our society. For a long time, it had been recognized for two important reasons, that a better system was needed to deal with debtors. The first reason was that imprisoning debtors or forcing them into involuntary servitude is an extremely harsh and severe punishment. For centuries, such punishment were considered appropriate because defaulting on one's debt was seen as a serious moral failing. However, in more modern times, it began to be recognized that it is common for people to acquire overwhelming debt because of circumstances that are sometimes beyond their control. In such cases, it is more appropriate to offer a compassionate solution to the problem than locking people up. And an even more important reason, in my opinion, 
for avoiding involuntary servitude or imprisonment for debtors is based on something that's economically practical. People who cannot work because they're locked up or they're not free to choose their, the work that they want to do because they're in involuntary servitude are unproductive to themselves and our society. When such debtors are liberated from the burden demands of their debt, many of them will once again become useful and productive citizens. This is why in the long run, it is more practical to allow people who are overwhelmed with debt to discharge their obligations and get back to work uh, such you know, that's, you know, a much better thing to do to let them get back to work than to punish them. To be sure, there will always be those who are dishonest and who will take advantage of the system. However, in the aggregate, it has been found that allowing overwhelmed debtors to file for bankruptcy is now recognized to be beneficial to the economy as a whole. And again, these are the words of Harley Hahn of the Harley Hahn Center for Money and Economics and his articles entitled, What is Bankruptcy and Why Bankruptcy is Important and Necessary to an Economy? And you can find it at Harley.com. And the reason why I like to share this is because I can write my own words. I What Mr. Hunt has done is a concise uh, tour de force that concisely conveys the fundamental public policy reasons uh, for the bankruptcy, the bankruptcy practice that I practice today. So as I promised, I'm going to talk about what it is that bankruptcy provides to creditors. What are the creditors' protection? We've talked about the debtor. The debtor gets to have the ability to start a fresh start. But what is it that protects creditors? Because after all, the creditor lent money in good faith, hopefully, <laughs> most of the time, but not always. And he, she, or it wants to get paid. And if you lent somebody some money or you lent me some money, you'd want me to pay you back. So creditors of various classes are the individuals and business entities to whom the debtor in bankruptcy owes money or some form of equity or something of value and who, as a result of the debtor defaulting on her debt obligations, her promise to repay the creditor, the creditor, such as her landlord or the pr producer of the product or service that she acquired or her mortgage holder, they all rightly want just to get repaid. So what is it that provides the basis for the protection of creditors in bankruptcy? What property right guarantees are afforded creditors under the bankruptcy code? Well, there are a couple that come to mind, and they both are in the Constitution that I tell all of us to read every week. One is the due process clause, and the other is the takings clause. Now, as we've discussed in the past, the bankruptcy clause found in the United States Constitution at Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, grants to the Congress, our Congress, the authority to make these uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy throughout the United States. However, this power, like the other great substantive powers granted to our Congress, is subject to the Fifth Amendment. Specifically, the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment prohibits the taking of private property without just compensation. So what does that have to do with bankruptcy? Well, if the creditor 
might have to give up some of the value that is owed to him, her, or it in order to allow the debtor who under a liquidation bankruptcy can only pay so much, if anything, uh, to the pool of funds that used to pay the creditors or in a reorganization where um, the funds to pay the creditors come out of the net uh, income of the debtor going forward, what if that's an insufficient amount of money to fully repay a creditor? Again, I'm talking about an honest creditor. I'm not talking about a dishonest creditor because I don't really give a damn about dishonest creditors. Maybe the Constitution does, maybe bankruptcy courts does, but I don't really care. I'm focusing on the honest creditor who established a relationship with the borrower and now the borrower can't pay. The takings clause of the Fifth Amendment says that the government and the government is acting as the entity Congress through um, is the power, but it's expressed through a bankruptcy court. So it is an effect uh, government taking private property without just compensation. You can't do that. So what are the protections of creditors? Well, the Fifth Amendment commands that however great the nation's need, private property shall not be thus taken even for a wholly public use without just compensation. If the public interest requires and permits the taking of property of individual mortgagees, that's a bank, in order to relieve or revive or allow for the necessities of the individual mortgagors, those are borrowers, results must had to be preceded by eminent domain. Now, that's a a process that, say, your town needs to widen a road and they need to take out some houses on the road, this domain process requires that the homeowner get just compensation. It's a legal process to make sure that our government does not take advantage of us, although some who are running for office now seem to want to do that. But that's a story for another day. So that, again, through taxation, this eminent domain process, this public legal process that everybody can observe, um, ultimately, the taxation burden, the burden of paying that just compensation is borne by the taxpayer, borne by the public. So that's one of the protections of uh, creditors in bankruptcy. The other one is the due process clause that piggybacks on to this Fifth Amendment commandment that just compensation, it has to take place in a public forum where creditors have ample opportunity to come into the bankruptcy court and plead their own cause of action to make sure that they're taken care of properly. So again, likewise, the due process clause of the Fifth Amendment also serves to protect secured creditors. Property rights do not uh, gain an absolute inviolability in bankruptcy courts because they are created and protected by state laws. Most property rights are so created and protected. But if Congress is acting within its bankruptcy power, it may authorize the bankruptcy court to affect these property rights, provided the limitations of due process 
the due process clause is observed. So when we get together next time, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into um, uh, creditors' rights and how they are protected by our Constitution. Uh, But I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including, you know, the laws of bankruptcy and their positive effects on our economies and our families and our small businesses as well. And because we need this for our unified well-being. So till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.